done whole parts. Oh, they take little tiny pieces. There won't even be a scar. I think I found the problem. Oh, come on, you're the doctor. Everyone, lights out and quiet. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Media Morgue, where movies come to be examined. I am your host, Jonathan Majors, Orange Beanie, joined by uh, my fellow <laughs> cinema surgeon. <laughs> uh, Diamond Dame Anderson. Yeah, and, uh, and we have a guest with us today, um, making his long-awaited appearance inside the mortuary. Sir, please introduce yourself. What's going on, folks? Uh, I'm not uh, either of those incredible names, but I'm Brother Kane. <laughs> so just happy to be here. Longtime fan, longtime supporter, longtime creative partner. So good to be here. Yeah, we here. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Cam. It's good to have you on. Um, and uh, today we are discussing Creed 3, uh, the latest installment in the, I guess we can't even call it the Rocky franchise anymore, in, in the Creed franchise, um, directed mm-hmm. by Michael B. Jordan in his debut. And we're pairing it up uh, with Akira from 1988, which, you know, we felt was appropriate since Michael B. Jordan is such a big anime fan. And you can clearly see the influences uh, in a lot of this film. I came dressed for the occasion in an Akira T-shirt. Yeah. Cam's got the Akira poster hung up behind him on the wall. Uh, Wes and, is... I, and, I'm a, and I'm a nigga up to no good, which is uh, really <laughs> the plot of Akira. It's just a bunch of niggas on bikes up to no good. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yes, we're excited to talk about those two. But of course, before the reviews, we have the news. Uh, what have we brought to the table? What any developments with that um, Sam Levinson situation since um, our last uh, discussion? <laughs> Apparently, it's premiering at Cannes. Con. Really? Yeah, it's premiering at Cannes. Which his show? Uh, yeah, his show will be premiering at Cannes. I didn't know they did TV stuff. I, I mean, I guess uh, I, they 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 have in the last few years begun to uh, roll out prestige TV as um, a, a kind of you know David Lynch kicked open the door with the new Twin Peaks and now it's kind oh of a sure. Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that's going to go. To be honest, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a space for a splash. You know, very Triangle of Sadness esque mm-hmm. kind of realm mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. They want those. Gotcha. They want those fifteen-minute standing ovations. Yeah. <laughs> hey there, it's Zach, everybody's favorite mortician. I just wanted to pop in and say that whether you're a fan of the show or listening for the first time, leaving us a rate and a review really helps us out. As a thank you, the mortician of your choice will stop by no matter where you are and tenderly kiss you on the nose. Thanks in advance, and let's get back to the show. I. Uh... I actually did just remember, I've found and remembered now what my news item is. And it's a shame that Dan isn't on this episode because I wonder what his take is on this. But um, Shouts out. Yeah, shout out to you, Danny. Um, and Zach, who actually uh, did turn into uh, a telekinetic um, mm-hmm. crazed beast. Yeah, I had to shoot it with my laser gun. I had to yeah, get a it's big... Tough. It's Not tough. Um, but my news item is that Bob Odenkirk of uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul fame will apparently be starring in a remake of The Room, um, the, the cult classic uh, directed and written and starred in by Tommy Wiseau, which I don't, I wonder if now we're losing the plot, right? Like there was a moment <laughs> where 
there was a moment where like the disaster artist came out and it was like a movie about making the movie and that sort of brought some level of restoration to Tommy's product and he was like on board with it and he was fine with being part of the yeah. joke but also part of the and now we're just remaking the actual movie and I I Full throttle. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm so so this is the second mention of the the room in consecutive episodes of the media morgue. So congrats yes. to Tommy Wiseau. Um I don't understand why we're doing this. The room was a joke that Doug Walker made his bones on. And then James Franco read the book about the making of it and made a movie. And I thought, all right, joke over, not yeah. funny anymore. Let's move on. I guess the idea is that like the, this uh, the story of the room whatever it is i mean it's just i guess like you know i don't even really know what this i've never seen the movie and i don't intend to but i guess it's like oh well maybe we can just take the actual bones of it you know the skeleton and turn it into an actually good movie but it's, i don't know uh, that they've chosen to franchise the room <laughs> you know, they, they first went with going meta right and then yeah. now they're like well at this point it's time it's remake season yeah the full room verse uh yeah i guess i um yeah that's it's a strange choice it's also strange that i mean bob odenkirk is a, is a is a good actor and i say that having just watched better call saul in its entirety uh welcome last, congratulations last thank you thank you it uh I've, and i've seen breaking bad three times so it's this isn't a question of his capabilities. It's more a question of taste <laughs> and yeah, yeah, discretion. And, and it's such an interesting realm to push in, especially with him, because, you know, he he got the the Better Call Saul nod and ride and then, you know, broke into action. You know, mm, and now he's going yeah. into whatever this remake genre is. Literally, um, you know, surreal parody. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So I guess that's fun. But <laughs> For yeah, who? Which interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to watch this movie? Gonna... Where is it going to be released? We need to ask the real questions. Like, what is it? You what know, is this? It's going to premiere. It will get a 15-minute standing ovation. Speaking of media news and, and new projects, um, the, the, the media thing that I had was just the latest investment uh, funding round for Macro of 100 mil that they just released in an article um, last week. And Macro has been kind of on my radar as, as, a, as a, you know, organization that's really pushing almost kind of like a, if I were to take a, take a go at, you know, making my own version of A24, I think Macro mm -hmm. is doing an impeccable job with that. Um, so it's interesting to see coming out of this, this latest uh, round of VC funding, you know, where they, what projects they choose to attach to with this 100 mil. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I have this. Uh, I have their website pulled up now. Um, yeah. How long have they been around? Do you know? They have. I know they were a big part of uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, yes, getting they were. Back to life. Um, yeah. But they've they've been making waves for um, a good amount of few last years. Charles King has oh. kind of been um, in the industry for a while. And then this mm. macro has really been taking off as kind of their... Mm. It's kind of magnum opus for it. 2015, I'm seeing on, on yeah, the website as they're founding. Uh, so, so it's one of those. It's one of those um, kind of late to mid to 2010 production mm. companies that all kind of cropped up at the same time. Oh, raising Dion, yeah. they worked on. Yeah. Speaking of Michael B. Jordan, 
Just Mercy as well. Yeah. Well, and Michael B. Jordan. Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) He was attached to to Raising Dion as a producer, right? And he's in it as Dion's dad. Oh, okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they did Sorry to Bother You as well. That's Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Okay. uh, So they've, yeah, they've been, they've been working. Yeah. Yeah, They've been stirring. It seems like A24 is the only A24S company that's not producing black work <laughs> everybody else yeah. has gotten on the gotten on the train you know what i mean the discussion we've had too you know i think we have seen maybe a few characters here and there coming out of the a24 wheelhouse that are black characters but we i mean let's let's be honest moonlight was in the past at this point so you know, yeah. in terms of the projects that are on the horizon i haven't really seen that um yeah and so macro yeah. they do they do production and distribution yeah and and um funding of that exactly and so a lot of spotlighting uh that's going on and so um you know they did they did a great campaign i think for uh shaka king back back when they were launching jerusalem black messiah and just kind of putting that on the map um which has been exciting that's dope yeah well this definitely i mean i think yes we have had this discussion not only in private but also on the podcast many times about how a24 has really accelerated in the past i'd say like 10 years in terms mm. of um uh brand recognition and you know mm. a lot of people like you know that you'll stop on the street who are into film you know uh or even if they're not actually I, that's really the point is even people who aren't like f- cinephiles can yeah. like you ask them what's their favorite horror movie they'll say oh my god hereditary like that was crazy, yeah, you know. Um, or the witch, the witch. Yeah, they the might witch. name the witch. Um, but it's always but, replaced the previous. Oh, the shining. You know, it's yeah. like taking over. Yeah, and it's um, true. It's true. And so it's it's interesting to me and exciting. We all are educated that competition is good for you know the the development of the industry, whatever industry it is. Uh, yeah. It's cool to see another you know company that produces i would say artistically comparable material um Mm. getting a leg up in this way you know like i think sorry to bother you is as unique and dynamic as anything that a24 has had a hand in um you know for example so if there's more of that coming down the pike then i'm all in yeah 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 and i think i think also you know we you know, we, we were seeing a bunch of these companies kind of fully like the fruits of the labor are kind of coming out. You know, I think mm-hmm. from the outside, you look at them and you're like, oh, these companies came out of nowhere. But, you know, Cam knows this better than anyone. Like to get to the point where you're developing and distributing film is a years long process. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially filmmakers that are now entering the zeitgeist, you know, like when you take a chance on Boots Riley. There's no mm-hmm. indication, aside from Lakeith and Tessa Thompson and Stephen Young, aside from those three being in it, there's no indication yeah. that that kind of movie will hit. So you're really taking a gamble. You're taking a gamble on Judas and the Black Messiah, you know, a movie about a Black Panther. And it seems like those gambles that are a little riskier than, mm-hmm. I would say, than A24. Um, mm-hmm. Not No, no yeah. shade to A24. A24 has made m- many gambles in the past. Um, but I think yep. in the last five years, if we're talking about big swings, we're talking about ma- macro and we're talking about neon. Um, and yeah. it seems like they're, it seems like they're, it's paying off, you know? Yeah. And those are great points because Wes and I have both, you know, spoken about, sorry to bother you as a reference point, um, just mm-hmm. for a jumping off point of a, 
of being able to have a have a non-traditional genre you know that we've seen mm-hmm. so much for black protagonist films for um you know what questioning what what do we need to include within a story and mm-hmm. so um i think like you said when you make risks like that you're expanding the landscape of mm-hmm. what these studio houses and what these funders will approve and clear yeah. um and if that, and if you live in that realm of, of filmmaking you know then you get established as a oh you know a24 can make whatever they want you know oh yeah, yeah. macro yeah. yeah they're doing some interesting stuff um, yeah, you know the same way you have Jordan Peele building his his very monkey paw. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to see the Green Knight with Dan. I don't think you were there, mm-hmm. Wes. I think it was just me and Dan. No, I, but, I saw it by myself. Yeah, mm. but that was like the one of the last. Like that felt like a, a big swing on a twenty four's part. Like the marketing mm. and then what that movie mm. actually was mm. were very different. And yeah, um, I remember walking out of it. They handed us. If it was walking, Cards, out, walking right? in, they were handing us like surveys, basically, like mm-hmm. you know, wow. like like for like their branding. Essentially, it was yeah. like, what do you think of when you think of a twenty four, like whatever, whatever? Would you recommend this to someone? And it was this. I remember Dan and I talking about how, like, you know, the AI had become self aware type of thing, where it's yeah. like, you know, now a twenty four is trying to really sink its teeth into who are the people that want to see these movies and. And it's that stuff is you know it's it's good business, but I think yeah. that's um, I bring that up just to say to your point, Wes. Like mm-hmm. in terms of them taking big swings, they we who knows how much of that we'll see in the future as they start to kind of homogenize. Yeah, what their I mean, look is you, mm-hmm. you could even say I mean we're on the eve of the Oscars. Everything everywhere mm-hmm. at once was probably a, the biggest swing they've made in recent years. Yeah, that's true. And, I, yeah, but yeah. even but yeah. even that movie was shot in 2019 and then mm-hmm. was released in 2022. So it's like mm-hmm. it, even that is indicative of an earlier time in their production history when they would. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you think about Hereditary and you think about Hereditary coming out in 2018, right? No one's really Mm -hmm. making that movie in that time. No one's making like what is essentially a mid-budget family drama that at the midpoint becomes a horror movie. Like it's just kind of an unsettling movie and then it flips on you. And no one's really making that movie the same year they're making Thor Ragnarok. You know what I mean? Like that's just not (laughs) happening. Um, So... (laughs) You know, I think, I think, I think it's just kind of indicative of, of how studios work. It's like when you find something that mm-hmm. works, you it stops becoming a risk because you know that if you hit that button, it's gonna then, people are gonna yeah. come. The money will come out of the machine. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> two, two interesting points there. I mean, just one: the Green Knight is such a such a ride, and I love how throughout that story you get. Um, just more and more builds um, mm. and, and even a, even a closing montage. But anyways, um, more on, more on um, everything everywhere all at once, just in the, in the Oscar Eve, it, it goes back to um, not only taking risks, but I think it's an interesting when, when you can, as a, as a studio house and as a production house spotlight um, people who have the good, the good sauce within them. So the Daniels, coming from working on those music videos together and mm. having that chemistry already built and kind of just giving them that runway uh, to work off of. And so it's kind of like when you find that you can, you can bank on it, uh, which is great. Cause I think, I think that's even, you know, what we've been noticing in our, in our short film careers uh, mm-hmm. when you, when you have that good science and the more chemistry you have with those people, the more you have a whole basically, you know, production team to deploy. So yeah. that's great. The sweet yeah, science, uh, some might say. 
Wink, wink. Sweet science, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> so the last thing I guess to bring up um, mm-hmm. is that, and this just came in, this is my news, Tom Cruise won't be going to the Oscars tonight. Um, I guess this will be old news by the time this comes out, but Top Gun Maverick being the second most successful movie of the year. Yeah, and- right behind Avatar. Yeah, and and yeah. and getting nominated for like six Oscars, and he just isn't coming. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise should host the Oscars. I guarantee you that would run like like the Navy. If Tom Cruise, he would he no would throw himself s- out of a plane. <laughs> yep. he, he, he would, would fly that would over be the opening. Yep. I just this is a million dollar idea that we just. I mean, they probably couldn't pay him to do it. Is the problem? But like, imagine the opening ceremony. He would literally skydive onto the stage and then be like, "Hey guys, mm-hmm. I'm here." And he yep. could do it. He's got enough, you know. Char- say what you will about whether or not he's a creepy, crazy person, but he's got <laughs> enough charm to host the Oscars. Oh, of course. You don't have to call yeah. Jimmy Kimmel back for the third year in a row. I mean, it's James like, Franco uh, hosted the Oscars. Like, come on, let's be real. <laughs> like, you could do it. Anybody can do it. Um, yeah, and Tom, no one's getting Tom smacked Cruise. while Tom Cruise is on duty. I can tell you that much. Imagine if some if someone tried to slap Tom Cruise. I feel like he'd catch their hand mid. mid. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He, and he, he decides would, it would be like Creed. He would see it happening. He would like anime dodge it. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of Creed, yes, we can we can certainly get ready to transition. I do just want to say on the on the Tom Cruise note, it is just always you know when stuff like that happens, it kind of reinforces this um i guess dynamic between critical and commercial uh success right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know i mean it's not like i i've never i haven't seen either of these actually but it's not like the first top gun is looked on as some like hallmark of cinema like it's remembered as a cheesy 80s yeah. dude action yeah. movie nostalgia um, action film right but then this one came out and apparently it set the bar so much higher and like really you know with not only with its, uh, I mean, I don't know how, what the story is, but at least with the filmmaking of it. Um, mm-hmm. So it is, I mean, we'll see what it wins. It'll probably come home with, go home with something. But the fact that he's mm-hmm. not attending is quite interesting, especially because he's an industry veteran. And I feel like anyone that big who decides not to go to the Oscars probably has a reason that we may not be aware of yet. I mean, he, do they, can y'all clear something up for me? Do mm-hmm. they know that they've won before? Are they told? No who's who wins beforehand no because no. i feel like I mean, some they, people's yeah they i i've heard that they rehearse there's a rehearsal with the yeah. people nominated and they rehearse yeah. each of them getting it each yeah but, each but, nom but is prepared to win Oscar time with the academy and on their own you know uh you have to be built like an insane person to like be ready to win and have yeah. speed you know so they're all mentally prepared there but yeah in terms of uh you know what goes up there just they like don't a good actual result. Gate, moonlight gate. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's always uh, confusion and chaos. This uh, is this is famous last words. Do you guys think anything crazy will happen this year? Or do you think it's gonna be <laughs> relatively I don't question. think I don't think anything's gonna happen that'll top the slap, but I think you're always gonna get like somebody says something, somebody's drunk and like steps on Michelle Yeoh's dress, yeah. and then it, and then yeah. it, you know, while she's going yeah. up to accept her best actress award, and you know, it'll be something right. like that. Yeah, I think there will be some memeable content, um, yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure, and and I think it, it might be a 
one of those, oh, history is being made moments. But I don't think in terms of the viral velocity, <laughs> we won't have any uncles we, going crazy this man, time. Man, think of, we've come full circle, Wes. We, Everything Everywhere All at Once was the first film I saw in theaters last year. And that was the, the day. Yes. That, uh, mm. Will that Will Smith, Smith slapped the dog shit. Chris Rock. Chris Rock. <laughs> and now here we are, you know, a whole Chris year Rock and one comedy so special mad. later. He is. He's so this should have been our news. We were skirting around it, huh? Oh, this dude, is news. I, I, so I didn't watch <laughs> the whole thing. I, around the world. I only watched the Chris, the Will Smith bit, mm-hmm. uh, where he's essentially like, you know, we've all been cheated on, but this mm-hmm. nigga had to get cheated on and like get interviewed and all this stuff. Yeah. I, you know, listen, I, I used to be a big fan. I would even say I'm still a big fan of Chris Rock's early stand-up. I think he's very mm-hmm. funny. Nigga, you got slapped on national television. Your <laughs> chance to fight back was in the moment. You didn't do it. Don't matter what fucking comedy special you have. You got slapped on national television, nigga. That's it. That's it. Pack the it levels, up. Uh, the level of complexities of the, of the black comedian in Hollywood. Um, yeah, <laughs> my, my, my pops texted me yesterday. Cam, hey, hey, Cam, did you watch that Chris Rock special? And I'm like, no, pops, I. That man has had one one speed, one mode throughout his career, and um, this uh, he 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 relies so heavily on you know the the making comedy out of black woman that it's like it's this is this slap has been coming for you for like twenty years. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> it was gonna be somebody. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he yeah. he got so upset that he messed up his own joke. My thing is he could have saved it because he was making a joke about how concussion was the worst movie that came out that year, but he said emancipation instead. But he could have just been like, and I have a concussion from getting my head slapped. You know, you could have rolled with it if you're yeah. you know, you're a pro, you've been doing this as long as you know any of us have been alive on this podcast. Uh but he um, that was how heated he was. He was like they had to edit it out in the final Netflix uh I mean, like, I don't mean, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be this nigga, but I, I don't know. I know you guys know this, this unspoken rule of New York City, but I know that if a nigga was on your ass as a kid and you started to show that you were angry, you lost. Like, throw yeah. oh, you mad nigga? Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, <laughs> but the thing is, it you it almost works both ways, right? Because people could say that same thing about Will Smith, like that the fact true. that he got so irked in that moment. But he swung on him though. He swung on him though. But that's why. <laughs> that's why everyone else thought it was a joke, and every black person in the world was like, "No, that, no, that, that was serious. That was serious. That was a palm slap." He brought the heel of his palm across yeah. his face. Yeah, that no, was crazy. You, you hear that on the microphone clearly. This uh this tees us up then quite nicely for a discussion about uh, how black men resolve their issues. We're going to take our first break and then come back with Creed 3. All right, folks, like we said up top, we're talking about Creed 3, the first of the Creed films to be directed by the principal actor, Michael Bartholomew Johnson. 
Uh, it's it's I think it's <laughs> isn't it Baraka or it's Bakari. I think it's it is Bakari. 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 Did I say Johnson instead of Jordan in the? Let me start over. Actually, entirely. <laughs> no, but uh, directed by Michael B. Jordan, uh, and I think that Bacari corny kid, right? No, yeah. no, nah, that corny kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> that should have been my news. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I. Yeah, I'm that corny good. kid. That's why I didn't touch that one. I thought that's what it was going to be. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. That nigga held the hate in his heart. Michael B. Jordan is Dame Anderson in real life because that nigga held <laughs> that rage in his heart. Yeah, um, he was ready. He was ready to square up. But yeah, this <laughs> this film uh, released on March third in the U.S. Although it had a, a release in Mexico City on February 9th. I'm so sorry. Their 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 man got his ass beat. In the first act of the movie, isn't that yeah, the main tough. guy? Is, that's uh, tough. The Mexican yes. boxer. Yeah, that's really it's tough. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's tough. It's, tough. Um, it's having a pretty good box office uh, opening, though. Decent. It that it know. is. Um, it's sitting right now at uh, 179.4 million, uh, a return on a 75 million dollar budget, which actually surprises me. I thought it would have cost more, um, but mm. I don't know. Maybe not having Stallone in it, which is, yep. all, is also baggage. We can. Yep. <laughs> We can unpack. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, it's, I think, also the shortest of the Creed films so far. Or, or uh, oh, interesting. If not the shortest, it it certainly f- sometimes feels like it's moving at a, a quicker pace. But we can check the runtime. Yeah, um, I'm gonna check it. Cam, you're our guest. Why don't you give some of your initial impressions? You know uh, about Creed three. Um, you know, going into it, and obviously we all saw it together, so I know how you felt coming out. But. <laughs> yeah. No, it I, is I, the shortest. You're correct. It is the oh, shortest nice. by by 15 minutes. Yeah, huh. you could feel I think that. That helps. That helps. Um, yeah, I, I actually was excited to to see it as a as a nice little union, um, also in in celebration of our boy Wes, Wes's birthday. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, for me, Creed three uh, really felt like the the clearest. Um, in terms of vision coming from, you know, the first with Kugler, of course, mm. but uh, the dynamics at play between bringing in majors for me was what really made that movie. I think that was the first thing I said to both of you as we stepped out of that dynamic and, and the major storyline, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he, he relentlessly owned that in every body language moment of mm. him. And um, it just it just set up such a structure um, when I think, you know, if, if you went in alternate course for Creed three, you would have been tired of this of this franchise. And, mm-hmm. you know, honing in on on going back to Adonis's childhood and uh, that inner I, I think that was kind of similar to the start of Creed one. Right. Him him wrestling with his uh, personal self and, and mm-hmm. origin. Um, and, and it's such an established conflict that that is just natural. And so they were able to play off of that. But that's what that's what I was impressed with um, of how that dynamic flowed. And also the the brotherhood, the the what the ebbs and flows of friendship and what that means. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you add layers of, <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit of incarceration here and there to that um, and and having uh like-minded dreams and when they conflict in terms of when one person achieves something and one doesn't um it's just an interesting flow so my mm-hmm. my i was impressed in that sense and also just that it kept my attention um and entertainment but 
let's get into it. Yeah. Well, Wes, I, I definitely, I don't, you know, if you feel like putting this on record, um, you know, this, you have a very special relationship uh, with the first Creed movie. Um, oh yeah. You talked about, you know, off, off air, but how did oh, you yeah. feel? I mean, I mean, I know it took you years to watch even the second one. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, so I've always wanted to be a movie director and I didn't think it was possible for me to do it. Uh, and I remember I saw Black Panther and I remember I knew who Ryan Coogler was because I'd seen crazy theaters. I'd seen Fruitvale mm-hmm. theaters. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you watch Black Panther, the first Black Panther movie, which, you know, I think most black creatives our age, whether they like it or not, will say had a profound influence on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when it, when the SZA song starts and then Ryan Coogler's name came up, I went, oh, my God. Like It was like, mm. oh, my God, like you can do this. Like This is a real yep. thing you can do. Um, and I remember just the best of all those Marvel credit sequences. Just so good. Um, (laughs) but, but I remember that. And then I remember being my first two months at film school and just being so discouraged, like being like the breath between the dream of going to film school and being in film school. There felt Mm -hmm. like there were 16 miles in between because, you know, you're not watching any movies by black directors. You're bad at directing when you start. You're, no one's good at it when they start. So you're bringing in dog shit every week, and that you're trying. You you hope is good, and then yeah. but it's not good, you know. Um, and you keep asking your friends to be in your movies, uh, as Justin <laughs> knows, and they do it for you because they're your friends. And their movies aren't aren't great. Um, and you know, um, and I remember being so discouraged and wanting to quit film school at least five times. That's not a joke, and. Mm. Um, I remember the one time I got really close, I just like rewatched Creed, like in November, mm. December, you can see it in my letterbox when I watched it. And I watched Creed, like almost every time I would feel discouraged about film school, I'd watch Creed again. I'd be like, oh, I could, I can do this. Like, this is doable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, over the years, the two, this is the first time in the medium work, we've talked about two movies that are both in my top 10 favorite movies. You know, Creed mm. is one of my favorite movies and Akira is one of my favorite movies. But the first Creed has a profound um, had a profound effect on me on what I think I can do and, and what a, you could do as a black director and all that and all that gushy stuff. So all that to say, <laughs> that's the reason why I didn't watch Creed 2 <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> nothing is going to be as spiritually profound yeah. as that first movie. And it wasn't, but it's a good movie. You know, it's yeah. a good movie. It's solid. It has some great fights. Um, mm-hmm. But all of that to say, I it would have taken a lot for me to like Creed three, you know, it's the third Mm -hmm. movie in a trilogy. You know, I love majors. I love the cast of Creed. Um, Mm. But you know, Michael B. Jordan's a first time director, but I was really blown away by it. I really, really, really loved it. I thought um, Michael B's direction was really great. Um, I thought the anime influence sounds weird when he talks about it on the press junket, but when you watch it, it yeah, works like, really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Jonathan Majors is like one of the best actors working right now. Like it's, he's so good and he's always got the scene in his hand. You know what I mean? Like he's always mm-hmm. kind of like, he's always working you. You know what I mean? There's a yeah. scene mm-hmm. we'll talk about where he's on the beach with his new shit. You know what I mean? With his leather jacket <laughs> and shit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this guy is, this guy is fucking Alonzo Harris from training day right now. Like, I don't even. It's almost like a reverse moment of Alonzo in that. Yeah. Let's talk about that scene later. But yeah. yeah, it's so, so all of that to say, I really enjoyed Creed three. It's nice to like movies. I saw it in IMAX biggest screen in New York. It was, it was yeah. really great. It was a great experience. Yeah. I, um, 
we're all agreed that Jonathan Majors is fantastic and there's no surprise there. Yep. Um, I think it was such a better choice to go this route than to say, and now it's Clubber Lang Jr., who, you know, uh, which like, you know, the idea, there was an idea of casting like Deontay Wilder as, mm. you know, Clubber Lang's son. And it, it just, then we're, then it would have just been like getting back into that super cheesy yeah. Rocky, Rocky territory. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we've seen that. And you know there there probably is room for that down the line. Maybe his daughter will fight Clubber's granddaughter in Creed four or five yeah. or whatever it is. But you know, to your point, Wes, about the anime stuff, like I remember the first time I ever heard Michael B. Jordan say anything about anime, he was doing one of those. Uh, is it was twenty it questions? Yeah. yeah, it was like the forty questions, so, and yeah, and he like called it Naruto. Very, <laughs> yes, and the internet was like, get. <laughs> like they were like that has to be scripted so he spent the last few years uh redeeming himself uh from that but i i remember watching that as someone who i never you know growing up i didn't watch naruto um or like keep up with it like that either but i i definitely was side-eyeing him a little bit like what are you talking about i think i was having this conversation with someone on like clubhouse that godforsaken app uh, uh, this was like months ago, but I was saying like we're in an era now where like most of like like millennials are the people making movies, like these like mid thirty to 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 early forty age, and these are the people who like grew up when like tsunami was a thing and when yeah. anime was getting rescreened back in America. So these are the filmmakers who are of age now and who want to see these stories brought to life. In a way, it's like it feels more realistic now to be able to adapt certain anime if it's coming from those guys versus mm -hmm. like, you know, this is the first person who came to mind under Martin Scorsese trying to do like Dragon Ball Z. You know what I mean? Like he, that's yeah. not, he has no connection to it. Um, mm. And of course there was, there could still be pitfalls, but I think that we're seeing that, you know, whether or not uh, Jordan goes on to actually adapt anything and we can, we can talk about what that would look like. Uh, including maybe the film that we paired it with. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that um, he's proven, and even with, you know, the very real possibility, like Coogler is a producer on this, so he was giving insight, I'm sure, a lot of the time. But like, yeah. you can tell that he had a vision for this. And it, it wasn't a question of like, what do I do? It was a question of how do I do it? And yeah. so when I look at when I look at these fight scenes and how he sets up like, not only the new technology that's being used in the film, but mm -hmm. also some of the new framework for like boxing was long overdue for a visual overhaul in terms of how it's Very depicted much. in film. Yeah. And I think that like by the time the film ends and they're in the void, I'm like, we could have been doing this y'all. Like this is actually the most, and this is a hyperbolic statement. I haven't seen every boxing movie, but I think that this is the most, um, experimental that boxing has looked since raging bull since that scene where sugar ray has jake lamada up against the ring and they do the jaw shot you know the dolly zoom and pull yep. everything out and then he's yep. just wailing on him and the blood is flying like everything in between that has just been you get two guys in a ring and you do the montage yeah essentially yeah. um so i you know we can we can also start to talk a bit more about the characterization and everything as we move forward but i definitely think as someone else who really also loves Creed one, who considers that top 100 films um, and who enjoyed Creed two enough because I was like, this could have been Creed one in the wrong hands. Someone could have looked at this, mm -hmm. like someone could have said, Oh, let's just make 
a sequel to the Rocky franchise and we'll right. have Apollo's son fight Drago's son. But they took time to establish Donnie as his own character. And then now we care more about him going up against the, the evil Russian man. Um, yeah. <laughs> similarly, I think Creed three taking a step out on its own, leaving Rocky behind really mm-hmm. is an opportunity for this to, for us to look at what the shape of this is by itself and not just yeah. as a Rocky spinoff. Like, we could start there, the non rockiness of it. Do you feel like yeah. that hurts the movie that Rocky's not in it? No, I mean, there, no. there's certainly a moment near the end where Creed, his dad's old trainer is talking to him in the ring mm-hmm. and he's, he's telling him, forget that shit in the past. Just focus right now. Yeah. The son, like, oh, ra- the son of his father's trainer. Yes. yes. And you're watching it and you're like, damn, like, like that was probably about Rocky Balboa thing. Like Rocky mm-hmm. would have had to. And also I think structurally the movie, someone said this in a review and I thought it was so smart as a read um, that the movie is so smart because diamond, um, Diamond Anderson is kind of an evil Rocky Balboa. He's a guy yeah. that has fallen on hard mm-hmm. times and mm-hmm. is going up against this like good-looking, rich guy mm-hmm. who has stuff all together. So our hero is actually Apollo Creed in the equation, and the guy who's against him is this kind of like... Yeah, it's the flip uh, in a way. It's of the, the flip. First movie. So having Rocky not be there, I did miss him, and I did miss him specifically in like, what would he have said to... Mm-hmm. Uh, Adonis about going up against someone who's essentially a younger version of himself. Right. Um, but I also think the movie is about um, Adonis having to be his own man in a kind of a way, like having to mm-hmm. reckon with the sins that he has committed and, and even from the first movie with his anger and, and, and not being able mm-hmm. to control himself. And I think, I think Rocky not being there forces him into an emotional place of vulnerability that we haven't seen from him before. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and without a, and without a mentor, right. We have, this, we've been following him in these first two movies of the franchise of him being isolated and living in that and not doing too well, but then finding Rocky and being conflicted in that relationship, but then seeing that mentorship from him. So giving this space for giving, giving this an opportunity for him to, to step out, and it, it creates that space of establishing this new uh, frontier. Uh, we yeah. also have him elevated in this kind of Don King role, right? That he steps into <laughs> for a sec and kind of off balance. Like he's like the money man trying to be a Floyd money Mayweather, mm-hmm. but uh, he is kind of fumbling here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on top of that, there, there, you can, you can smell a, a Justin Lin franchise on, on the horizon, the way that they keep setting this stuff up. Um, you know they are they are lining up those sites. So you know Wes is my writer from the from the plot standpoint. All of that is true and applies. And then on top of that, from a Hollywood um, you know uh, journey, they they're trying to clearly expand the range. You know they're they're mm. they're they're exploring ASL. They're exploring female characters, yeah, yeah. women characters. Um, you know I do wish they'd spent more time with Tessa Thompson on this one, but I did too. Uh, they are yeah. they are expanding the hemisphere and trying to create a universe, uh, a creed a creed universe, and I think that clearly um, after after they've accomplished the first two with Rocky Balboa, they've got people invested, um, and now they can look at Creed and Michael B on its own and on its lonesome. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I think that's they're they're kind of you know 
launching after having their it's it's the it's the it's the you know jj abrams star wars approach of the reboot they bring in some old characters then they let go and release you know yeah. and now they have a franchise again um, with new fans and old i agree with you guys um the complicated licensure issues behind the rocky franchise Jeez. aside yeah. um Mm-hmm. Sylvester Stallone is obviously like the this is his you know Rocky is his baby right yeah. and yeah. and He's say what you will about him, him in general but in these movies specifically like he's really good like in yes. both one and two I'm watching his performance and I'm like yeah this is like you put yourself into this but that doesn't mean the performance is bad like there's no, no the, the, a performance doesn't have to be transformative to be sincere or amazing or mm-hmm. heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And there's so many times when he's just like, when he's just like looking at some of it, I've talked about this before. Some of it is really is just age. Like, you know, Rocky's kind of is supposed to be kind of beat up. He's supposed to be like, you know, a, a shell he's of a man taking in a hits way. for 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Stallone, you know, I mean, when you see him on his own, he's, he's very dapper and whatever, but you can tell that he is fine. He's, able to sink into that um that sort of brokenness yeah and, and he wears it you know um and so i agree with you wes that like there are moments in this where i'm like dang i almost want like force ghost uh rocky, to rocky. Show up. <laughs> yeah. but you have to consider like okay you're right up keep it up <laughs> but you have to consider like what and this is me addressing now people who think that he should he shouldn't have been he should be in the movie like mm. what what is the arc of rocky now like we just keep him in these movies until he dies that's, and then and then that's yes. that's sad too like <laughs> I, I think first of all you have to remember that stallone had he wrote creed 2 entirely yeah. you and know? he wrote so himself a he wrote himself goodbye. a beautiful ending a beautiful yeah. ending it With was him and that, his clone Milo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ventimiglia, uh, Vermiglia, yeah, something like that. Right, exactly. um, so it was either that or, or he killed himself off, and I know he didn't want to do that. So it's like I think that they make efforts to have his spirit in the movie. They have, yeah. um, you know, even when it's just Donnie in his locker room by himself, saying one step at a time, one punch at a time, mm-hmm. uh, one round at a time. Um, yeah. which Rocky taught him in the first movie, like that mantra. So yeah, like I, it's funny because earlier this week on Twitter, someone posted uh, a clip of uh, Rocky giving Creed, you know, a talk um, when he's oh. fighting pretty Ricky in the corner yeah. at, at the end of the last movie. And he's like, you know, listen, like basically I never got the chance to thank your father for what he did for me. And, you know, I love you. Like he tells him, I love you. And the person who retweeted it said, um, Mark Rylance should be afraid to show his face in public. Because that's the year that he won <laughs> the Oscar for Bridge of Spies, I think it was. A, a movie that I'm sure is fine, but, mm. you know, we're not still, Dude. I don't know, we're not still talking about that performance in the same way. Yeah, um, I, 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 it's so strange, Justin. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's so no. strange. You know, Michael B. gets a lot of hate. You know, Michael B. gets kicked around a lot. You know, I won't say I haven't been one of those people who have been like, Michael, you're pushing a little much on this performance here. Uh, but I think his, his uh, I think his performance as Adonis, the reason why I think it's his best, especially in that first one, is because he's using the equipment that he already has and does well, which is he's really good at playing a cocky 
kind of a cocky young guy. And he's really good at playing a guy who's got a chip on his shoulder. Maybe because he was called corny in high school. Uh, hey, I'm not here to judge. Uh, but, 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 but his best moments in three uh, are when he's, he's like on the back foot again, is when Dame is calling him baby Creed and he's back there again. You know what I mean? Like for all the yeah. success, he's back yeah. to being that guy again. That last fight in Creed one is one of my favorite cinematic moments. Just like from that to when he hits the ground and he they flash through all the different images and it's his dad. And it's almost like mm-hmm. his dad gets him to stand back up. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it's a really like that first Creed movie, something special, man. It's great. It but is. Yes, Cam, it what is. were you going to say? Just in terms of, you know, where, you know, Michael B. Jordan summons that performance from, it does, it does, he gets activated by this, you know, this opposition to his, mm. you know, Hollywood Hills life. And mm-hmm. I think something you were saying earlier about how Beatrice comes in and commands the room in these scenes, you know, in these moments, he's walking into this, to this structure that his success has built. But he's walking around like, you know, is, is, is this you, bro? You know, like, right. I'm, I'm leaning on your car at this at the jump, <laughs> <laughs> and he can't even recognize him. So it's like, you know, it 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 summons everything from the previous mm-hmm. uh, habits and instincts. Um, that kind of like he came more alive when when Majors walked back in. Um, yeah, uh, and another note on um, Mike's performance that actually I think will Mike. I know him. He's here right now, yep. actually. He's yep. standing. Yeah, right, he's uh, yeah. Right yeah. Can you poke your yep. head in, Mike, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, that we can use to maybe transition into discussing uh, mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson um, mm-hmm. in this movie, who is probably has less impact, and I think she's had in the, in the whole series. Mm-hmm. But there is this kind of undercurrent through the movie of black male emotional repression mm-hmm. and suppression and so there's this whole kind of like you know hanging sword of who leon was and what happened in the group home and i thought actually it was going to go to like a level of there was some molestation that occurred or something Me too. like yeah that i was afraid he couldn't yeah and, I, and it would have been a very i think it would have been a very brave choice and i you know i mean it, it could have sure. been controversial but like the way that i'm bringing this up to say specifically in the scene where uh adonis and what is her character's name? Tessa. <laughs> Bianca. Uh, uh, Bianca are having this argument where she's like trying to get through to him. And he's yeah. saying, like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, I don't want to talk about it. That was like, for me, that was like the height of his performance, you know, and not just because it's angry, but because it's, it's hurt and it's mm-hmm. scared. And then the, mm-hmm. you, you very clearly see that the defense mechanism of the anger is getting thinner and thinner. And mm-hmm. that's something that, I have witnessed happen in real life with people that I know, I'm sure as both of you can relate, you know, just being around men of color around black men specifically, it's Mm -hmm. very, very difficult. And some, because sometimes it feels dangerous Mm -hmm. to let that guard down. Sometimes, especially if it is with, you know, your, your significant other, right? Like you, you have this idea that you're supposed to be and present a certain way and that you have to be the stoic, you know, uh, authority figure. So her pressing this issue which he thinks he's gotten over is yep. really messing with him. And I think like what disappoints me a little bit is that as much as I appreciate, well, it's funny because <laughs> this actually ties into something that Zach just texted us 
which is that according to People Magazine, Tessa Thompson says she and Michael B. Jordan went to couples therapy to prep for Creed Three, which feels like maybe we're putting the cart in front of the horse. Uh, hmm. <laughs> but uh, who suggested that? Who recommended that? <laughs> Too much method with that one. Yeah, Michael uh-huh. saw those pictures of her with uh, Taika Waititi. He said, "Hang on, I can't allow this." Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let me get in there. But I think just to to wrap up my point, as much as I. Uh, appreciate their depiction at showing that the work that a healthy relationship requires Um, and i think they have good chemistry the two of them like i i buy them as a couple sometimes you put two attractive people on screen together and they're just like action figures that you're bumping against each other but these two feel like a real couple i do wish though that like it feels like they raise this thread of her own subplot regarding her music career and Mm -hmm. like what it means to be grappling with like her deafness and mm-hmm. not being able to perform. Yep. So she has to be on the mm-hmm. sidelines. Like yep. it feels like a thing that kind of gets dropped. And, and I, and it's interesting because when we were watching the movie and they're at the release party with Kilani, mm-hmm. yep. my, my goodness, uh, with Kilani um, <sighs> and, and John majors walks over to her and he says, how does it feel to have someone else sing your song? Amir leaned over Ooh. to me. He was like, that's a crazy line that's that's the movie basically and i was like it is actually like that's how he's feeling in the moment but how do you guys feel about bianca you know cam you you made some reference to seeming like yeah. feeling like she was a little sidelined yeah absolutely i think i think that's a it's a huge observation and i think it it in pairing with with this that we'll get into right now the the ultimatum moment of him getting back in the ring um, mm. is their communication is diminished on that. And she spends mm. so much time up front with their intention of her daughter around violence. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. then she has no lines and no no friction and no mm. voice of what the heck are you doing? You're a grown-ass man. You're a, you're a moneymaker at this point. Why are you getting back in the ring with this jabroni who's like your boy? So <laughs> that is a whole another extended dimension. But yeah, I think they tried to pose... Um, effectively a sound of metal moment within this film and that was kind mm-hmm. of uh w- in her introduction too in the in creed one um yeah and and they they set that up and and they even bring uh you know majors in the middle of it to present that conflict and then mm-hmm. uh they they drop the ball on that on her agency of being able to uh have any kind of frustration with them within that and um there is potential there and i think that's another layer that could could that could make that argument of her and Adonis even uh, more complicated because he can't open up about this stuff. She's dealing with stuff in the backdrop, um, in the foreground, basically. And as a couple, if you guys want to go method act and do couples therapy, like you need to you need to have both of those uh, conversations prevalent in the film. I, I think the fact that she only really discusses that moment with Major's character, um, mm. to me, it was almost like, I was like, are they going in a direction where he's just going to full on hit on his wife at this time? I also was wondering. I, I think the important questions. Yeah. I think that was, I think that that was, I, I would be interested to know how much Bianca stuff hit, hit the cutting room floor because yeah. Yeah. that's because that's what we were talking about. right after there, the there are two scenes, one of which you were talking about. And there's a second one I'm trying to remember where it's mm-hmm. clear. 
I mean, look, you see majors and you're like, that guy's going to hit on Tessa Thompson, clearly. Yeah. Um, and they <laughs> he really. He hasn't, he hasn't seen a woman in 18 years. And the first one he sees is Tessa Thompson. Come on, bro. Come on. <laughs> and th- that man was coming out of the, the ring he's like this. Everything. You know what I mean? Like this. So. Yeah, yeah, he's moving the shoulders. Uh, I, 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 I have to believe that there may have been, and maybe I'm wrong, there may have been a subplot that some stuff was snipped out in in mm-hmm. in you know especially because towards the end i mean with rocky movies it's always kind of like lowest moment training montage battle mm-hmm. yeah but there always is kind of like a human interlude somewhere in there and there was none in this mm-hmm. one which leads me to believe that maybe the tessa thompson plot was dropped at some point well i think wes uh, the human interlude is supposed to be the death of his mother Yes, and that so is true. Now we can kind of get into the Felicia Rashad of it. I Felicia Rashad could stand in a room and look at a phone book and I'd be enthralled. Like I think she's one of the great actresses of her generation. There's so much that she can convey with a look, with a cut of her eyes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I think she's really well used in the first two movies. Mm-hmm. Um specifically in the first one, she has the most yeah. to do there. That's just the yep. nature of it. Um in this one, she is kind of fridged in a way. She's kind of like it feels like her death is telegraphs in the to, top, and and also just to get Adonis yeah, she, moving toward what he needs to do. Yeah, she kind of Obi Wan spirits out. And she does. <laughs> she she hits the Ugwe hard. Um, and and I and I think it's that conversation that you know Donnie and Bianca have. Um, you know, that sort of moment where I said that it feels like they're reaching for the Godfather almost in a way. I think that that is supposed to be the moment where we see Bianca coming around on you have to fight him. The thing is that it felt like, whereas in Creed 2, there was still a bit more at stake because he, you know, I mean, Drago was disqualified. If we want to get into like the, the, the technicality of the boxing of it, Drago was mm-hmm. disqualified. So the title was vacant i think because of adonis's or actually no he still had it but like he had to take time to recover and then it was this whole thing of like the battle with himself to really it was like beating drago was like about more than just beating drago and it was you know it's like fighting the grim reaper like you're fighting the man who killed your father is how you're thinking of it even though he didn't physically do it and i think you know, uh, Florian Monteau, I think is his name, who reappears in this film and they're friends now. Y- y- those two guys don't look like they'd be in the same weight class in any on any planet. But I almost think that the size is fine for that purpose in that movie, right? Like him being so much bigger. Um, they have a conversation in that movie that's very similar, like Tessa Thompson saying, hey, like, you got to do what you got to do. And in this, it felt like it was a rehash of that, but there was just less need especially because of what you said kim what you alluded to how they feel about mila um i'm sorry Mm -hmm. amara as played by mila davis kent their daughter Mm -hmm. um you know kind of uh starting to show signs of aggression and or or using violence to solve her problems in school another Mm -hmm. thing that for sure we don't have a lot of in this movie like a lot of amara stuff got cut i think it feels like whatever lesson was supposed to be learned for her yeah. also maybe doesn't get translated 
Yeah, because they end the film with her in the ring. And then and then it, the, the screen goes black and it goes, Amara will return. Will return. <laughs> and Tessa Thompson's outside the ring like, whoop that trick. And it's like, what? how did we get here? Yeah. And you're also like, and you're also like, oh, clearly Majors is going to be her Rocky Balboa whenever they get yeah. along to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, clearly, that's very that clearly what they're doing. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one thing I did like about the movie, which is something that uh, the Creed movies have over the Rocky movies, is the desire to actually be socially relevant. So, you know, Creed <laughs> beats Majors' ass and then goes into his, <laughs> his camp and is like, hey, man, right. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't your fault. And it wasn't yeah. my fault either. Like essentially, you know, the prison industrial complex yeah. takes all of us. <laughs> yeah. you know? And um, that's why I thought, I, th- I thought, you know, as he goes and visits majors, I thought he would have been like, yo, bro, you coming to celebrate? Like, yeah, he <laughs> left that nigga there. He was like, nah, <laughs> nigga, you're not, you're not interacting <laughs> with my wife again. No, thank exactly. you. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, arm's distance. He was like, did yeah, you, exactly. Do you, do you guys feel that that, I wonder, and I don't, I don't know if I feel this way, but I remember like having a conversation with my dad about it. Do you think that that uh, resolution between them was like too easy at all, or that did it feel like? I mean, I think, I think what's what they're trying to do is like the physical fight needed to happen so the actual fight can happen, which is them mm-hmm. fighting to say I'm sorry and it's okay. Like that moment in the locker room is actually the fight. But I just wonder if there's, you know, do either of you feel like it? Like the it, like the movie, their interaction could have just been him like looking at a uh, at Adonis and leaving the ring, and that could have been the last we saw him. To me, it's a choice difference, maybe. To me, honestly, I feel like the moment where he's in his Alonzo on the beach is kind of the the most communication that they have on their past and like their beef with each other. And then in the ring, they yeah, they get to fighting, and then that happens. Um, but I feel like the most that is unloaded is on the beach because mm-hmm. he's at an ultimate high and he's sucking him back in. And then the fight crescendo climax happens. And at that point, all, all is done. All is left on the floor. And they, the, the pinnacle of who needs to win is already reached. So I feel like aftermath, it is kind of like that post-war well, this is this. These are the new terms, kind of. Thing. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> like the two dudes left in either ravine come out. Yeah, with, exactly. Know, flags. Yeah. Um. That's true. That's that's a fair point. I I made a little reference to it before, but I like how, um, like you know, in that first fight he's having with uh Ricky Conlon, it's supposed to be his retirement fight. Mm-hmm. They're doing that. I like, can't slow stand d- that fucking character, bro. <laughs> My least favorite character in this series. Just an asshole. <laughs> Just comes in and is an asshole. You were in jail for three years, nigga. Like, c- c- come on. <laughs> He's also like still talking smack to Creed, yeah. even though Creed earned his respect at the end of the first movie. He's like, same old right. Creed. You still haven't changed. It's like, right, right, excuse right. me. All right. You're about to get washed. So uh, <laughs> it is what it is. You were, um, you, were, you were an intro cold open, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I like um, how he's seeding the, again, the anime stuff in there. There's that, you know, very. There, he's basically just pulling tropes into live action, right? Like the thing of like where in an anime, like the protagonist or whatever character would slow down and see that weak point. And then there'd be like a narration about like, ah, this is the second time he's exposed that part of his body. You know, <laughs> like the next time. And he you did it like every, four times. Yeah. He does yeah. it a lot. He does it a lot. He, he does, does it a lot. lot. And, every, and then every time also like when 
um, when Damien, um, who we could also hop into talking about his character more in depth yep. if we want to, but when he goes up against Chavez, the Mexican boxer, um, and, and it happens, I think, in a few of the boxing matches, they do like the you know the cutting across between the eyes and yeah. the, the gazes between them and sizing up their their bodies and everything. Yeah. Um, what a great fight scene also between them. I mean, it's, it's oh. I was wondering how they were going to like, look, aside from the fact that he is large, I was wondering how they were going to establish what makes uh, Damien unique as dangerous. a boxer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. Because it's like Drago was big. In fact, Drago is bigger than uh, Dame than yes. Dame. So it's yeah. like, what else is it? There's the mentality of it. Uh, you know, he does do actually some different things with his hands, you know, like some 52 block stuff, which is fun. The, the yeah. crab shield that they, the cross they talked about. Yeah. But also like the nerve strikes that he's doing and punching down on the shoulder and stuff like that. Like yeah, when you see that he's just like, shoulders. he's just mean, like he's, he's a prison yeah. fighter. Yeah, he's just he's a, just a, yeah, cold he's a bad mofo. Prison workout, prison fight, you know. <laughs> and, 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 when he was doing that prison workout, I was like, "Oh, baby, you're gonna get washed." I was like, "This is tough." Like, uh, you know, you know, the, we're watching the movie, and the whole theater is tense when yeah. we realize that oh, they're gonna put majors in the room with this small man, and yeah, that this for real. And they have majors come out with the Nipsey hustle on. And I am watching it, and I'm like, this is the greatest suspense of disbelief that I am to believe that this man <laughs> is going to not get folded in half by Majors. And Majors... <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's what I'm saying. Majors dog walks him. Like, it, I, what I <laughs> thought was going to happen was that Majors was going to fight Drago from the second Which movie. Which I think should have happened. I was going to say, finish your point. Yeah, Because, well, because Drago and, and Creed clearly have a friendship or respect for each other now you know mm -hmm. it's a it's a nice little thing that drago trains him in the last bit um sure uh and it also gives like us a nice like mirror image to like these guys had a rivalry and they've smoothed it out and now dame mm -hmm. Creed can can do the same yeah. but but my thought was no way that this guy is going to beat major so i was like throw drago in there like drago beat made beat creed almost to death in the last you remember when creed was in the hospital bed and rocky comes in he's like oh he's fucked you up pretty bad huh and he's like he's like get the fuck out of here he beat my ass rocky's like hey uh, you know i heard you were pissing blood so i came to see is that true that happened to me once man it's, it's not not a good feeling um oh, man. Oh, yeah no man. you're right i in fact i i had that thought um when I left the, like when I was thinking about the movie that it feels strange to introduce a new boxer, like whether it's, whether they use Drago or not, there've been other boxers by now that we've, that Creed has encountered in the Creed verse that they mm -hmm. could have pulled back to make that a bit more on the one hand, this is the argument. They could have brought someone back that we're already familiar with. So we feel it more on the other hand, it's like, well, can you just trust this movie to establish their relationships that you feel it for this movie? But I didn't, I mean, I didn't really care about this guy for real outside of the fact that like he was clearly getting killed inside the ring. And so right. like you, but it's not a like slaughter, a, even if they I had mean, brought back um the lion, the dude, he, his first boxing, oh, Leo, match. Leo, Leo, yeah. the, the one Sparino. Where he yeah. Even if they had brought him back, like that could have been an interesting thing. Um, just so that, the, because also when we get back to the, the motivation for Creed to get back in the ring, mm -hmm. the fact that, like you would think it happens because it's like a revenge thing because 
uh, Damien kills whoever the boxer is, right? But he doesn't. Like, he he hospitalizes him, and then he just shows up in his AOK at the end of the movie, and there's not even a conversation about it. So by, when I saw him, I was like, oh, there, there's even less reason for y'all to really fight. I mean, yeah. I was even trying to think of how you would, in the real world, market it. Like, Adonis Creed, I guess there's also, there's a passage of time that isn't, that happens very quickly in the beginning. He retires, and then it's like three years later that, uh, that all this starts happening, I think. Um, yeah, and he's, and he's like five years out of the game. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, to me felt like a thing of, okay, I wonder what the real world motivation outside of their personal relationship would actually be. Like, what promoter would want this to happen well you'd say creed is coming back from retirement yeah. so it's like so and fighting a former golden glove yeah I, I, who's now I, the heavyweight I, champ dame is kind of like dame is like is what like he's like george foreman slash tyson and bill he's like he's like a tyson bernard hopkins kind of yeah foreman yeah. maybe a little bit it's kind of rhetorical I, I just i think that there's a bit of there's a bit more that could have been done to substantiate um what was at stake for the fight because right. you know, even the, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think with Damien, something that's that stuck out to me, and that we'll definitely talk about more in a literal sense with Akira, is the way in which young men are often forced to transform. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we meet them early on in the movie. We, we meet them in a flashback sequence um, as kids going to this, you know, underground boxing match together. And we, what I was expecting is that it would be like that Damien would be just like this aggro, like fug from the beginning. And that was, that's just going to be the thing. Um, but he's very, you know, like their relationship is very genuine. He's quite mm-hmm. gentle with yep. Adonis. He, um, and he's smart too and he has like aspirations and he wants to mm-hmm. you know go and somewhere talent. and talent um and so it makes obviously his motivation that much more compelling um and to see what he is not that he isn't already like swole obviously but to see what he had to become in order to survive right. and to come back you know michael b jordan said that the diner scene was actually the first scene they shot because he wanted to use that to set the tone and I think that was a good decision. I feel like there is a lot that's being done by majors. I don't, I don't know all of what his prep was, but to convey just the the minutia of trying to readjust to society after being away for so yeah. long. I mean, mm-hmm. he's doing a he's doing a Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger impression, and he might be doing a better job. <laughs> a better job. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, just, just just based on. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I made this joke before, but they they do the Black Panther opening where you see who by the way the kid who's playing young majors is so good he's playing really good i was getting t'chaka vibes from that scene you know the the idea of a kid who's been abandoned by the system Mm -hmm. and then comes back and is angry about it you know there's i mean the moment where where he's uh on the beach with creed is like the is this your king moment in black panther (laughs) literally but reversed you know um so, so the the thing about majors I, that is so good, which I agree with you, is that he doesn't play it aggro really. Like he kind of plays mm-hmm. it like a really hurt guy that has had this, all this anger and resentment stored up. And the minute his friend, his friend should be happy for him. Like, right. like he looks over at Michael B, 
happily mm-hmm. when he beats that guy's ass and michael b is like you motherfucker like how could you have done this <laughs> and there's like a there's like a hardening like it's this it's 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 like this oh i thought my friend would be happy for me and mm. he's yeah. he's he doesn't want us both to be successful so like majors really lets you in on the the feeling it's never general with him he's so like particular and granular which is cool yeah mm. yeah really dope um any other uh, moments or character stuff you guys want to touch on yeah i mean i mean just just while we're on the majors and i think even even we can tie into the anime fight ending of it but Mm -hmm. um just 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 the presence of majors in this role i think stemming from what was just about from the origin it really it really gave me like training day vibes of the way that he conquers everything in the room and causes chaos mm-hmm. and he relentlessly leaned into like authentically just being that character fresh out and just being like like just like observing society yeah <laughs> and yeah. and majors really took that and and just rocked it um and i think just how i started about my thoughts with the film i i, I think that was such a it, it elevated it to new heights and it made it that much more interesting and um, just the method that majors went about that um, kind of just in every scene causing some disruption, even when he was in the, the boxing gym, even when he was on the street, even when he was in the restaurant, even when he was at the, the, the party he got invited to, even when he was clearly on the beach, um, even when he had the fight with, with, you know, Chavez, it's like just, just that, that, splinter cell disruption i think really <laughs> changed, you know added some dimension to the film so I, yeah. I i loved his character in that i know i know that um zach is uh disappointed he he couldn't make it to this one because he he's been raving about jonathan majors like since that first creed trailer where mm. where adonis is like we'll come by the gym sometime and you see like seven emotions on major's face uh, mm-hmm. in his eyes before he says thank you and it's like right. He's just he's just a seeker, you know. Mm-hmm. He's just like, and so, um, and and knowing a bit about his own background in real life is also very, um, it contributes a lot to how he what he brought to this role because there's mm. there are some similarities. Um, not that he ever did you know prison time, but just in terms of growing up in a rough environment, mm-hmm. um, and being around that type of, you know, um, mentality all the time. I I saw a review. I think it was a written review. I didn't get to read it, but that described this as uh, masculine melodrama. <laughs> I think that's what all the Rocky move, the whole Rocky Creed franchise. That is that. It's you know um, they are kind of soapy, right? Like there's there's a very particular formula, um, and I mm-hmm. you know I guess these are just part of my closing is that like again I think certainly for a directorial debut. Um, in such a tried and true uh, genre and in such a beloved like franchise, um, mm. Michael B. Jordan did probably as good a job as he could have done. Um, so I would give it four. I, yeah, I think I'm settling on four um, broken Chavez shoulders out of five. Um, really really enjoyed it and, and, and you know even with the things that i that kind of are weird logically to me mm-hmm. i don't think any of them ultimately detract from like the emotional core which is these two friends 
trying mm. to work through this hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Wes? I really enjoyed it. Um, I think, you know, Michael B's directing was really shocked me at how sophisticated it was. Um, mm. You know, you and there's, there's, you know, you know, not at all to take away from Michael B because you know who knows how this ended up shaking out. But I thought, you know, you could really feel Coogler in the background of this movie in a way that you don't necessarily feel in the second one. There's the grit no. to it. And the story yep. and, and the way it's covered feels very much like Coogler was there with him, which is cool. Um, and it's nice that their partnership, I guess, is expanding to this new dimension. Uh, Majors is great. My, I have all my chips on Majors. Majors is not going to have an Oscar next year, but he needs to have like 50,000 of them because he's so good at, <laughs> at, at everything. It's, it's getting, um, there. getting there. Well, I mean, the, maybe the problem get, is Magazine Dreams. Magazine Dreams, where he's apparently playing Travis Bickle. So maybe... Yeah, maybe or the uh, understudy uh, with Spike or the Lee, understudy. The understudy. Yeah, you know, so maybe he'll, maybe there. Maybe I spoke too coming. soon. Mm-hmm. I I meant more just that when you get a black actor that's this good, they rarely get awarded when they should be. Um, so, but I, I wish the best for 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 him. You know, I think this is actually interesting and interesting, especially for the three of us because we've spoken about all of these articles of who's the next Denzel, who's the next this. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think a lot of us, we often brought up majors in that discussion of just in terms of where he's going, especially in place of Chadwick RIP, um, yes. the material that he works with and the, and the flexibility and the versatility that he expands within and the opportunities that he's coming into, I think is very Denzel-esque. Um, yeah. And Denzel aside, I do think there are these moments where, hey, this is the up and coming new one. Um, again, you have his whole back-to-back franchise uh, breaking stat, you know, mm-hmm. thing. And it's an interesting, he's in an interesting space right now where he has that potential to perhaps snag the next one. Yeah. You know, from, from your mouth to God's ears, Kim, he's, uh, he's, <laughs> he, he's right now in his, his like, um, his glory era right now. Like he's mm-hmm. on his mm-hmm. way to making his Malcolm yep. X. And he'll yep. make his Malcolm X in the next five, and, and then we'll all be angry. Oh yeah, the well, well, that's done. an interesting question. What uh, what historical figure, what biopic you think they're gonna? Er, early mm. on in his career, someone said Baldwin. I just think he's too duff. He's too I was big. Say Baldwin. He looks I, like he he looks like a handsomer Baldwin, but I. I mean, look, Baldwin was built. Baldwin was built. You know, <laughs> Baldwin. Not he was in this big camp. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. If he slims back down to San Francisco size, maybe that could be something. Yeah. Or maybe I they could, could do, do um, they could do this isn't a biopic, but they could try like some John Henry type of thing, mm, uh, yeah. which Terry wow. Crews attempted but was not successful and pulled he, it he off. He could do. Uh, I could see. I think Baldwin may, may be the most likely one, just based on the cachet. But he could do a Bobby Seal. He could do a, mm. you know, like a a famous important Negro that hasn't been done yet. Right, I'm right. To, I'm just trying to yeah. think through, which is which is everywhere. I feel like they could definitely find something that that he could lean into. Yeah, I mean, he already did devotion. He, he did, he did. That's that's true. Um, Wes, did you give a rating? No, I will give it. Um, I will give it four Jonathan Majors uh, new nigga leather jackets out <laughs> of five. He calls up Stephen A. Smith. 
He calls that nigga up, oh and he's like, he's like, yeah, bitch, what are you saying about me? To Run it right st- how now. did he get Stephen A. Smith's number? <laughs> like, yo, whoa. Jordan was like, yo, not like this, not like this. He was like, this is how it's happening. He does this, by the way, while he has a woman on his couch. Uh, he has like, he has like a Aaliyah on his couch. He gets out of jail and immediately just Chloe Bailey. Woman. Yeah. Imagine if Chloe Bailey was in this movie, but only in that scene. It's like, yeah. What about you, Cam? What would you, uh, if you could bring your rating to a number? Out it's of a five. great question. We're going out of five. Yeah, it's a great question because Creed Two left me with a lot of feelings about. Uh, oh man, I wish. I mean, I was excited for Coogler to be up in the midst of being too busy with Disney and Marvel with Black Panther sure. Two, um, but I think it left a big gap in the the production desire within the story of Creed Two. It was still entertaining and a blockbuster, and he was still EP and attached to it. Um, but I didn't have that same feeling of one. And I think that in Creed 3, I think they did a good job of uh, bringing something in that, you know, helped, helped acquire that. So I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a nice, I think I'm going to stick on that four as well. Um, mm. But I, but I will stick to if it uh, did not have majors in it, I think it would have been a solid three. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think he does elevate it quite a bit. Um, oh, yeah. Well, good check, guys. Uh, you know, actually, um, Zach would kill me if I didn't mention, uh, by way of transition, that he sent us a TikTok um, showing that uh, there was a production design little hint towards Akira, because at some point Ooh. Creed is wearing some red shorts that have like the stitching of uh, Kaneda's, that's his name, right? Yep. Uh, Kaneda's jacket. jacket. Um, from from Akira. So uh, we're going to take our second break and come back to talk about the legendary anime film. Uh, Welcome back from the break, folks. Uh, We are (laughs) finishing out this episode with a discussion of Akira, the 1988 animated cyberpunk action horror film uh, based on the 1982 manga of the same name directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Um, and it deals with a, uh, a member of a biker gang who inadvertently acquires psionic telekinetic powers, loses his mind, and in the process um, uh, creates a rift with his friends. Um, this film is wildly influential. Uh, you have yeah. uh, those of you who um, are familiar with it, of course, know, and I'm not telling you anything new, um, but I picked it for this episode, not just because um, it's anime and I felt that was a good way to review Creed three or a good pairing for it, but also because I think like short of, I mean, we can't bring a whole season of Dragon Ball Z onto the show. Uh, and no. so, <laughs> unfortunately um uh to pair with a film and so i think that this is the closest we'll get to talking about some of those themes that um jordan was clearly interested in tackling in terms of like male friendship and promises and trust and revenge and all that um so as this is also the first time finally that we're getting an animated film on the medium work um Bro. i've been trying to <laughs> make it happen for some time but we no have way. not had a chance i don't think to review animation yet so we can definitely talk about just that aspect of filmmaking in general which you know i mean Beautiful. i've never worked in animation but um first, first Cam, 
Yes. Once again, as our guest, uh, feel free. I'm sure you've seen this film many times. I know Wes has. Um, what was it like to... <laughs> what was it like oh, to come back to uh, it? Mine is over there. I just got the Blu-ray. It's over there across <laughs> the room. Um, you said what was it like to come back to it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, I think, just the way you introed it. It's a staple and kind of a pioneering moment for uh, worldwide animation and mm-hmm. anime and uh, really launched uh, on that international scale the appreciation of animation, um, mm-hmm. especially coming out of the, the Japanese boom for it. So for me, I always, I always come back to it. And each time you watch, it's like a re-enlightenment. Um, mm. I mean, of course, the first time you watch it is, is kind of uh, a speechless uh, moment. But um, yeah. for me, it's been such an, an appreciation and inspiration for um, so many levels, I think, on a, on a philosophical scale, which I think um, is often either very much touched on or untouched in filmmaking. And mm. as a director's decision making within films, uh, you have a, a philosophical aspect and um, you can get into that. Uh, and, and it stems with Akira from so many places from, you know, Neo Tokyo to post World mm-hmm. War II. Um, to the you know technological boom uh, coming out of World War II, to mm-hmm. these moments of uh, the psyche of the of the angst post war, but also in this uh, overwhelming um, post radiation uh, you know technological excess of yeah. uh, of abundance and and dealing with the realities of that um, when you are as as you said when the AI takes uh, <laughs> becomes self aware. Yeah, exactly. And so there's so many ways you can look at this film and 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 even on the animation subject of uh, this this frame by frame detail. I think you it's something you don't see these days, you know, with the mm-hmm. with the animation house conglomerates um, looking to meet a certain schedule and looking to keep up with their manga or keep up with their live action remake. Um, and all of those influences, I think, hit you in so many different ways. And yeah. it's, it's truly a, a pinnacle moment um, that helps create the runway for everything. So lots to talk about there. But uh, every, anytime I watch it, I just get excited of how to re, uh, re-look at the wheel yeah. and, and you know take notes. That's a good way to put it. The first time I saw Akira, it's kind of like listening to um, Outcast for the first time, you know what I mean? Or Jay-Z for the first time, because mm. it's like... Oh, everyone else is doing this. Like I get it. Like everyone else has been doing this <laughs> since 1999. Everybody's wanted to be Andre 3000. I understand. Yeah. But it's still like, it's still like, oh, this is the greatest version of this. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I said off mic, like, I think Akira might be the most influential sci-fi genre movie of all time, and I think like that's not even hyperbole. Like mm. I think you look at any genre film that has come out since Akira and you're going either it's actively rejecting it it's doing it's paying homage to it mm-hmm. or it's standing directly in the shadow of it you know what yeah. I mean you're looking at Chronicle you're looking at the Matrix Battle Royale you're looking at all of these movies that are that are doing the teenagers in the middle of a terrible world ending threat yeah and but the real drama of it is that these two childhood best friends who have been through so much are breaking up like that's why the movie works is because okay cool like telekinetic abilities great 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 you know uh japan is is being 
torn limb from limb by this god that is siphoning his brain through (laughs) tetsuo you know what i mean (laughs) but 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 the real thing that's happening is that uh these two boys who have been through so much are growing apart you know Mm. what i mean but also like it's just fucking cool like it's so cool like the nigga is wearing a red jumpsuit (laughs) driving a red (laughs) motorcycle and the back of the motorcycle has light beams and he has a giant gun if you're 16 you see a cure you're like that's the coolest shit on the planet bro (laughs) not even lying it's it's so cool i i the the books i've had i've had the akira books since i was like 19 and they're like war and peace like you're like Mm. i'll read these eventually (laughs) um and maybe this year i'll do it but it's they're so big like apparently the books are even better because he was writing the books as the movie came out. So like he had the first three volumes out, stopped to make the movie, then finished yeah, he got the books. Yeah. It's it's yeah. And now he's making a sequel to Akira, apparently. So. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, apparently he's he's developing an animated sequel. So I this was only my second time watching it. Um and the first time I watched it, I think was maybe during quarantine or something. It was just one of those where I was like, oh, like I have all this time. I can get around to all these movies that I've heard about forever. And I watched it and I was like, what happened? Like, not like I didn't understand, but like, mm. but there was a little bit, I'll be honest. There was a little bit of like not understanding just the plot of it and what was going on moment to moment. Mm-hmm. But like, what did I, I like? What did I experience? Like, and and coming back to it, I realized most of what I remembered is like that last hour, really those last forty five minutes. Like everything from him grabbing the the cloak off of the mannequin and wrapping it around his uh, his neck to the end. Um, and definitely, it's it's great that you brought up the philosophy, um, uh, Cameron, because I think this movie um, there's a lot of there's probably a lot of different interpretations you could read into it regarding, you know, philosophy or religion or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, Wes, the cool factor really is like, it's undeniable. And I was looking at this, I, I was like, this is probably one of the most smoothly animated films ever made. And this came out like, mm. you know, I mean, in 1988, like it was, there was a, obviously a combination of hand-drawn and cell uh, shaded and then computer generated stuff, but everything is like, there's always motion. It's very uh, Miyazaki in that way. You know, he's, he's big on motion. Something should always be moving in the screen. And um, the, the, even the characters like there's, there's very distinct character models. And then there are some characters who like, just look like the same face was kind of (laughs) copied and pasted, but they're still so expressive um the voice acting i watched it this time in a in a dub sorry guys sorry i watched a dub not a sub uh hmm. but uh hmm. it, it, <laughs> but um but it was uh it was really well performed and um i just think like that yeah like we could the the whole review could just be us talking about like oh this moment was done in this <laughs> in this movie that came out later and and did it worse um but the thing that I find really fascinating about this is how like watching it again, I had more of a, I was able to understand more like what Akira represents. And it really Mm. feels in a way like a story about like finding God (laughs) or finding what God is in this, like kill, we killed God, God's dead. And the world (laughs) has been, has we, we killed God and we cut him up 
and we dissected him. We put him in bottles. Yeah, Yeah, we put him in bottles. And so, like, now this is what the world is, and everyone is trying to recreate God. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's, like, very hefty, you know? Um, Like, we're we're, we're getting down to, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, trying to match, like, biowave patterns or whatever. Like, literally, I, I mean, I think there's even a way if we, which I don't think we will, we're going to review Oppenheimer, on this show, Akira would be a great pairing for that. Or even I like, feel like we can review Oppenheimer, but we have to do Oppenheimer and Barbie together. I'm sorry to tell you, <laughs> Oppenheimer and Godzilla, Godzilla. even. And, and, um, but yeah, that would I think, be good actually. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not bad. Um, but I that's kind of what stood out to me in terms of like the the theme and the, and the philosophy behind it. I, I wonder, Cam, where yeah. where you sit. Yeah, yeah. And I think even earlier of, of how Wes was speaking about the, because there, it's, it's undeniable, this is the most influential animated film, um, especially of that era that informs everything else. And even the way we talk about, you know, the Miyazakis, it's, it's this, this, this is the most intense hand drawn that you can get that yeah. informs everything else and makes the standard. But, um, Yes, like you know, uh, growing up on 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 One Twenty Fifth Street, you know, my mm-hmm. barber had uh, just just a model of of the of Canada and, and his bike, mm-hmm. and you know that alone, the coolness of it. I was like, what the heck is this? I, mm-hmm. You know, my my ninety three ass did not know what the hell uh, I was looking at, but I knew I liked it, and um, the fact that it had that visual coolness. Um, as as one uh, avenue working for it, on top of the the philosophy that's that's going on within the neo Tokyo nihilism and um, you know the 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 question of at the ending when they go through another you know Hiroshima Nagasaki yeah. uh, and and restart and it's it's coming from this kind of godlike figure and Tetsuo gets teleported from Akira to another realm. It's like. Mm-hmm all of these things. And, and and I think like you said, Justin, it's like every time you watch it, that last hour, you're just like mesmerized into and melted into like, what the hell did I just absorb and witness? <laughs> um, and, and it's like this, this, this otherworldly out of body experience to, to go through it. And um, I think that's, that's what hits. Uh, and, and I think that's, again, like this, this spiritual realm, this, mm. you know, this God figure of, of, of what, Tetsuo Sanfor and and Akira, um, I think that's where it where it gets into those layers. Yeah. And so and, and and even by the end, yeah. like it's it's like there's like a it's a very pluralist movie, I think too, right? Because by the end, the three uh, psychic kids are like, listen, you know, if we go into this void, we're not going to make it back out, but we have a chance to save a life. So I guess let's do it. And they go in and save Kanada and wind up saving Tetsuo, but all, all of them then transition on and become whatever the next, I guess, like, you know, global unconscious, uh, <laughs> unconscious is. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think what you guys are saying, well, first of all, like all of the kid, the brain stuff, the, the Kira in the hospital, uh, Tetsuo slowly losing it, you know, the mm-hmm. teddy bear shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. All that stuff has been just, 
freely cribbed into Stranger Things and into oh, all of these other. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> Stranger Things just like has taken all the Tetsuo shit and has just lifted it. Wes, and put when, it he, into... when he steps out into the hallway and like paints the ceiling with those guards, I was like, oh, this is what Josh Trank was trying to do in Fan Stick with Dr. Exactly. Yeah. Walking through the yeah. hallway and blowing up heads. It, like it's 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 so so all of that stuff is yeah. a so cool and dark mm-hmm. in this movie and then has been redone 400 times but i was watching a video essay <laughs> preparing for this about akira and they in the video essay this was like the genius of the movie is is canada and it's mm-hmm. it's because canada is 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 a strong supporting role in the books allegedly you know he's mm-hmm. in the beginning he drops out and then he comes back mm-hmm. um yep. and having this kind of shithead uh who's really dumb like yeah. he looks cool he's super dumb he doesn't yeah. know what he's doing uh he's getting led around because he thinks this girl's hot <laughs> looking for his friend you know having this guy be the audience pov into what is essentially like what you guys are saying like a god story like mm-hmm. god has reincarnated into a child and is he's now mm-hmm. going to take over the world chronicle mm-hmm chronicle style you know mm. having the main guy be this kind of every man is 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 kind of a genius stroke because it makes the whole thing very tactile like it makes mm. the whole thing if he's not in the movie the movie is uh, impenetrable but the fact that he's in the movie on his bike you know yeah you know, sh- with his biker gang you know is 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 what makes the movie really work for me at least yeah i i think also like to that point there's there's kind of generally it feels like two sort of streams with anime at least with the actual like serial anime where when it comes to dialogue right where like either it's entirely vague or entirely expositional (laughs) like i think what's interesting about akira is that it feels from the beginning like very um naturalistic i think there's an attempt Mm -hmm. at i mean there are certainly moments where there's this elevation but that's like character specific like no like each character kind of has their own distinct i think voice um or each Mm -hmm. character type obviously with the three um espers uh they all are kind of similar but even like one of them the first one that we meet who's getting a um who's escaping with the guy who gets shot uh, by the way, it's some of the best gore also in in any Dude, movie, the really. splatter? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> some of the best I gore mean, just generally, but especially the in in an animated movie. Um but that one like he's a bit more reserved and quiet and then you have the one that's mm-hmm. like little like Modoc, like the one that floats mm-hmm. around in the chair who kind of seems like he's the big boss and then you have the girl um but the <laughs> all of them speak very differently from Canada and his biker friends speak differently from their biker rivals. And, you know, there's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I even, one of my favorite scenes has nothing to do really with the, the overarching plot, but just them uh, getting called into questioning by the police over whether or not they're <laughs> part of the rebellion and like everything that unfolds yes. in that moment with the guy thinking he's going to blow up a grenade and it's a smoke bomb and he gets, his, his, he gets the life beat out of him. Um, uh, just really interesting like i almost want to say like slice of life stuff mm-hmm. in, like in pockets of the movie um in the midst of all this like sci-fi action which really makes it quite rewatchable even even with all of the the nastiness that occurs in the final 20 minutes like the body horror oh, yeah. i think yeah, and- w- what 
speaking of that that scene with the biker gang getting questioned, uh, what outfit in this movie do you wish was real and you could own? I mean, aside from Canada's? You can't you can't pick Canada's. You can't pick the red jumpsuit. Too late, too late. It's, it's, it's too easy. It's too easy. Oh, man. I mean, not for nothing, the suit that the colonel was wearing, like when he pulled up with just the hand in the pocket and the double-breasted suit, you know, oh, I, yeah. was, I, I was kind of feeling that It's cold that shit. <laughs> it's cold shit. I was feeling that look. Um, what about you, Cam? I feel like I know what Cam's is. <laughs> Oh man, there are there are a few iconic looks. It's just like I I I also appreciate the rest of the biker gang's fits. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I couldn't choose Canada's, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 just I'm just full tilt in that red jumpsuit. Yeah, There's, you gotta <laughs> you gotta do it. You gotta do it. It's, <laughs> it's you know what it is. It, I I love the red jumpsuit. The issue is no one is going to look good in that red jumpsuit in real life. It's You'd it's that red jumpsuit only looks good in animation. It's <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you would you gotta have some confidence. Yeah, you, you do. You're I mean, right. like I don't know about wearing it to the club. If we're talking about like <laughs> that, might be different from like trying to adapt it into live action, um, uh, which could oh, yeah. which could certainly be doable. But um, yeah, I, and even speaking real quick back to like the you know the uh, the stuffed animal thing. I mm. I thought it was very interesting in keeping with that idea that I mentioned in the last segment about, you know, transformation and being forced to transform mm-hmm. that like we were taking these symbols of childhood and turning them into figures of horror and and, mm-hmm. and um uh you wonder like you look at these kids who have essentially been drained of their like lives their 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 youth at the expense of this power that like what are they even doing with it you know what is the the ultimate goal is it purely is it you know are they being weaponized is it you know to try to recreate a hero who was the the reason behind this whole uh thing anyway um it's i don't know if this is too much of a reach but even when you think about like the prison industrial complex and like how how many young people get wrapped into that very early on and Mm -hmm. you know there's uh yeah it's supposed to be they tell you it's like restorative or rehabilitative or whatever but the reality of that varies person to person and um they're not getting powers from it they're just getting you know what i mean like they don't even get powers well it's there's an importance to that it's like you know focusing this on youth that's like trying to escape or youth Mm -hmm. that has this you know, uh, affliction that's mm-hmm. empowered to them. Um, and, and in this stance, it's, it, it's a literal mutation, right? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's almost dipping into that X-Men, like dangerous oh, power, yeah. gray. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. And on top of the, the setting of these like Mad Max biker wars, yeah. you know, um, almost so, so future you went to the past of, you know, Planet of the Apes, post-apocalyptic, et cetera. Um, but but within those those children, you have like you know it's like children of the forest. You have that like classic um, again that 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 power within them. So I think it's it's such an interesting and I think like you said, Winley, it's like that that system. Clearly, they're being controlled by as test subjects as mm-hmm. you know, programs. They're trying to escape. They want out. Um, they're trying to keep people within um, Stockholm syndrome, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's infectious, which is also interesting. Which is why I think 
theoretically a cure could work adapted but i don't think it ever will like i think okay well i don't know if mind meld because i was gonna ask about that (laughs) well well this is the reason why i always say jordan peele was offered and we can go a little bit into the akira live action development hell but right after get out akira was offered to jordan peele yeah let's talk about it and i think he's the only guy who could do it i Mm. It's currently in the hands of one Mr. Taika Waititi, who I think is a very good director. Uh, Justin is looking at me right now because he's a fucking hater. Uh, but uh, I think Taika Waititi is a very good director. Uh, but I think the social commentary that Akira is working with cannot be a cannot just be one for one copied into America. If you're doing it, you need someone who knows what the one for one uh comp would be which is, you know i i yeah i don't know what he, i don't know if peel would have cast japanese teenagers cast it in neo japan but i have an inkling that if he were to set it in america it would have been black teenagers and he would have some way adapted mm-hmm. the story which is kind of what the story needs if you're going to do it in america um or you just get a japanese director and have it be in japan which is also valid but i you know i think i think the trouble of adapting it into live action a is it's so visually stunning who can really do that and yeah. b it's it's all about the social commentary it's all about that these kids are fucking around in a dystopia that's been created by the government you know what i mean yeah so so i you know that and also peel did the akira slide man he had kiki he palmer do the akira slide so i almost wonder though if he did that as a way to say this is all I'm going to be able to offer guys. Like, I, I, I wonder, if, I think that's it. If Peel was yeah. himself kind of like, and even, even having the uh, caution tape around her, almost looking like the streaming lights. I'm just realizing as, yeah. the, as the bike comes to, yeah. it, it has that same yep. uh, motion yep. to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was very intentional of him being like, look, this is a taste of what I could do, but I'm not going to do that. And this is my me paying homage mm. to that. But yeah. I'm not getting tied up in that. Um, do you guys? You know, do you guys think that? I mean, I said this in my letterbox review, but like, do you think after seeing Creed three that it's a challenge that Michael B. Jordan could take on? Not like his next no. film, but like, you know. No, for for me, I mean, I know we were we didn't speak about this too much, but since we're in the subject of animation and anime. Um, no, I don't think so. And I think that <laughs> or he may have paid respects to maybe a little bit of splash of Obicho and Kakashi's fight mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. by just making his boxing ring empty and kind of grayscale. Mm-hmm. Um, but no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I, I bring it up because of what I said earlier, right? That we, we're, we're seeing a new generation of like filmmakers coming into being who have watched this stuff and obsessed about it and have like, and have like the shot list in their minds. You know, they wake up and they think Samurai Champloo, they go to sleep thinking about Cowboy Bebop. Like that's, this is their life. Um, I do think that, like you said, um, Wes, not every, you know, this is so visually rich that you almost have to probably go a different way I like you could do like you could try to make it like a hyper saturated live action like almost like um who would do something like that like a like a guy Ritchie or like um you, you could. know something like like a yeah. Kingsman style like it's moving very fast and it's bright and all you that could. or yeah. because you know you're not going to get that same 
like texture that the animation has you could try to go with mm. something a bit more and i'm just thinking cult, like in terms of the visuals of it like something more maybe muted or whatever mm. um mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it really it does come down to like what's the heart of this story and how is that going to be transplanted i mean mm. i think about ghost in the shell which i didn't watch the live action i've seen the the animated film once i don't think i ever will <laughs> it's 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 a similar situation i don't think so either of like what and that movie I don't think that movie even has as much of like a social commentary to necessarily, at least from what I remember, maybe it does. Uh, I mean, it it basically gave the Wachowski siblings all of the ammo to make the matrix um, from an influential standpoint. But let's talk about, let's talk about uh, (laughs) animated adaptations from ghost in the Shell to cowboy bebop to what a live action. Because, I do think it is, it is Justin, it hails to the people who, you know, think about how you would make a, a, a Samurai Shampoo. And like, th- those are the people who have to make those movies, not someone who's trying to bring back a franchise and make it. Or someone who's know, trying to cash in movie. on. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. they all want to, they all want to, you know, that's why they, <laughs> that's why they brought in Scarlett Johansson to Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. You know, to, to whitewash it up and make it global. But it's like, as a result, look at, like, you've already made ultraviolet like mm. you don't need to go and make ghost in the shell live action that's, ultraviolet. that's really yeah good. <laughs> you've that's already really done good, it th- you've already done but it. that's a really good that's a really good point cam which is like do you need to make akira akira has been done already it's already been made mm-hmm. in its adaptions you know a uh, chronicle is akira you mm-hmm. know what i mean stranger things yeah. is akira all mm. these things are akira you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the only the only thing that would be new is that you're slapping the name onto it. You know right. what I mean? And exactly making it that. live action. Exactly that. So it's like, I'm for it if you do it with intention, but I think especially a film like Akira that visually is already so stunning. It's like, you better proceed with caution if you're going to go tackle that beast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And even, you know, Wes, even to your idea, like we're appealed to take it and transpose it into blackness. Then it can't even be akira because no it's juice it becomes juice which is it's it's juice but also like i'm i'm even talking about the nitty-gritty of like what is what is akira in comp like what are they talking about when they say like oh like what's the akira protocol in america you know like that's a japanese thing you know what i mean so that would be the challenge i think even it, it, it i was thinking like if you were to do it you probably would just have to do it with a Japanese cast and you no, know. it's a it's a it's a great point yeah. because to that point, just to get back to the philosophy of Akira, like let's be real, Akira is not a, an American film. At it's all. not American. It's, it's anti-American. It's honestly, it's honestly an anti-American <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah, so, y'all came into the country and fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so and blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. to have the audacity, like the same way they did with Ghost in the Shell, it's like to go and make it an American franchise is literally the film is about post-World War II, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, nuking yeah. Tokyo Fire. Like, all of that is built into the the that anxiety and that angst and that Neo-Tokyo feel, that, that grunginess that you are getting. And the and the 20-year rebuilding that led them to, you know, having the craziest stock market value in the 80s mm-hmm. to have it booming and surpassing uh, uh, New York City, Wall Street, and before China really took off. Um and then the the overwhelmingness as a country of Japan of, of 
of the abundance of technology that came with that. Yeah. It's like those wrestling conflicting moments, even if you wanted to replicate, like you said, Winley, in some black experience, <laughs> it's like you would have to make it about some, you know, uh, which we've seen. We've, yeah. we've seen, you know, we've called them uh, out like anxiety well, yeah. within America. Yeah. Um, it's just such an interesting concept. To, and I think that's that's a big point. If, if, if you do go for a live action remake, it's like it's got to be you know in in that japan in the in the japan space yeah you you have to do yeah, and, something and would, so different and then you have mm-hmm. to say like you like you could get away with a based on that would be the closest i think you get like by just actually putting a hat on and saying instead right. of like this is in influenced by like based on uh yeah. akira i mean i think maybe the sci-fi film that in spirit comes closest to akira is attack mm-hmm. the block which is about funny. I was thinking black teenagers in Brooklyn, yeah. in, 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 yeah. in, in Brixton who are attempting to, you know, and they even have the swords and the red outfits and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think something like that, I would much rather see a director of color get the leeway in America to make their Akira, to be like, hey, I love this shit. Can I yeah. make a non-IP sci-fi movie? Yeah, yeah. In the spirit of this, rather than yeah. a studio being like, "Hey, here's a hundred million dollars, but you have to make Akira." You know right, what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. This is interesting because it it brings it back to what you guys were mentioning earlier about the feel of it, um, and and this adolescent uh, realm. I think that you could expand it, and like you said, when they like you've got Stranger Things out there, but you've got this kind of like West Side Story biker gang vibe. Yeah. That, <laughs> which is why a lot of people like, you know, can relate to it's it's like you got the warriors in it. Yeah. So there's so many of those hints that you can run with if you were to make it, you know, a more American film, et cetera, et cetera, or just, you know, international film. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at the back of the cover and it's like, this is Japan. It, it's the, it, that's the first shot. That's the first <laughs> shot of the movie. So it's like, so it's just like, I mean, it's, 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 it's insane to ever think about, uh, you know, if you were to make a live action version, making it um, American and global. So that's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, uh, it would, I think, I think the rumor is, so it was, it's almost gone a few times. So it almost went in like 2018, the remake, and then it almost went in 2011. Mm. And that's the one that had Andrew Garfield and Pattinson auditioning for Tetsuo and all that different of course, stuff. Of course, of course. Sounds like 2011. <laughs> think, think about like think about social network era Garfield as yeah. Tetsuo. Oh, yeah. Sounds <laughs> interesting. Uh, but um, that one apparently the, the audacity go. is hilarious. <laughs> apparently, that one didn't go because the script, which is leaked online. Mm. is about 911. <laughs> That's their version oh, okay. of yeah. of the, the atom bomb which is like it's a fundamentally different. Yeah. I, I think. <laughs> it's just it's just not the same. It's like in kids in New York are not always standing in the shadow of 911 the way the country of Japan is right. always right. will right. be in the shadow of this awful yeah. thing that America did. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's they're, Justin they're is tired. Look no, at no, him. I'm no, I'm thinking about the uh, thinking of. <laughs> He's these. like, damn, this this film is really that deep. Like, I, I like... did not, I did, didn't we? I think in our last episode, also a Robert Pattinson 9/11 film came out. The 
came up. Uh, in remember me. Remember me. The guys, here's <laughs> the secret about the medium war. We just have the same conversation uh, over and over again. Over and trick over you again. guys into yeah. thinking yeah. that. Yeah. I think it's the industry that's having the same conversation. <laughs> that's actually because, what because when you think about, you know, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but there, if you think about all the different nine other movies there are, um, there, there, there are, it's, it's, a, it's an entire list. So yeah. I think to your point, Wes, it, it, there are so many different nuances of, a city versus an entire country, um, you know, right? And like literally, that's that. <laughs> yeah, so, and this is from, coming from a New Yorker. So the 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 gag is that they're going to ask one of you to do it. Uh, one day you're going to be well, you're going to be handed a briefcase with a bunch of money, and they're going to say, "I mean, hey. I love I love saturation, <laughs> and I love I go to sleep thinking about Samurai Champloo and how they butchered Cowboy Bebop's live action." <laughs> and literally, the first film I'm directing next week is uh incorporating animation so it's like mm. you know all, all that stuff is relative but again i think i think you know maybe maybe this is literally we're, we're in people's psyche right now of why would i touch that film mm. if it's literally you know born and bred out of 1980s japan yeah y- yeah it's it's kind of like i'm sure it's tempting i'm sure it's mm-hmm. tempting because you go i i mean any one of us if they hand it to us we're gonna go oh shit it's akira I mean, it's, oh, yeah. It's like, oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's, it, that's, it's, it's almost like someone handing you fucking like citizen Kane and they're like, here's a hundred million dollars and go make yeah. that again. And you're like, yeah. Oh, well it's citizen Kane, I guess I got to do yeah. it. But, yeah. but, but I think, but I think there's no winning. There's no winning. There's no, no way no. you win directing the Akira movie. Either it's good, but not as good as the original either. Yeah. It's, bad and people are on your ass forever <laughs> or it's like okay it's fine no. like it's it's yeah. it's in a live it's action okay and like, oh we already saw this with chronicle with stranger things with etc 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 right yeah right yeah chronicle that's a good reference point. there's just okay. no way to be yeah like stellar about it and i and i think um but michael b jordan in chronicle in the american akira and know. so here he has come full circle that was a, a fun realization I, I i came to and i shared with wes um it's it's definitely fun to theorize about i'm sure guys like us uh will continue to have this conversation <laughs> um until jesus returns or Akira, uh, <laughs> or Akira returns. <laughs> um, but uh, shall we rate it then, um, Cam? We've sent you our our special morgue ratings. Um, I right. mean, I I know what I'm giving, and I, I'm pretty sure it's the same as West. It's it's immortal for me um, by our standards. I think that this is a, a film that is mm-hmm. so is so specific to its time mm-hmm. and its people and its meaning that when you watch it, you're forced not just to enjoy it as, as a, a beautiful piece of art, but also to engage with what it's trying to reckon with itself. It's like when you watch Godzilla, the original sure. Godzilla, yeah, the like, first it's one. like, Oh, this the is a monster movie, but also it's about the terror of nuclear hellfire raining from the sky, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's, um, I think, I mean, a lot of Japan's, uh, uh cinematic history has dealt with it in some way. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder, Justin, and this is just a thought. So like if you, as Cam says, slap me with a fish if this is a dumb <laughs> hypothesis, but I wonder if that's not, uh, aside from all the cool shit that happens in Japanese genre films, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's n- not one of the reasons subconsciously why black folks of our generation have connected so deeply to Japanese genre. So mm-hmm. Japanese horror and, and monster movies and anime is there's this underlying idea that like, 
oh, something is very wrong. And I'm always living in fear because mm. of this thing. You know, there's oh, there's always kind of an intangible, you know what I mean? Like I you mean, look at Battle Royale, one of our first movies is like, the whole thing is it's a fun action movie, but like also niggas die when they're young. Like they yeah. die really young for no yeah. reason and, at all. And you know what I mean? Always have steak and you're always head on a swivel. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I haven't thought about that on the, on the subconscious level. I, I did do and have done like a lot of reading and, and writing on like the Afro Asian connection. And, and it goes back mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, 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 it coincides a lot with uh, the civil rights movement with mm-hmm. the advent of hip hop and how that accelerated in the nineties, you know, Wu-Tang clan obviously brought a lot of people in and all yep. that, uh, Bruce Lee, obviously, you know, but I have never thought about that from, right. from an unconscious level. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of line. I wouldn't slap you with a fish. Uh, no, <laughs> I, no, I, I think there are clearly a lot of synergies just within, you know, American, uh, black youth, uh, uh, you know, uh, synthesizing with, with anime and and uh animation and the, and the plot lines and you know we 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 will we will have a whole uh episode dedicated to piccolo but um, <laughs> the, 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 the to anime black, characters that are probably black yep, that, are, that are most definitely one. black so you know in, in the piccolo philosophy but it's like you know yes there there is something at stake that um the, that anxiety, that creeping constant feeling is something that Black folk can absolutely resonate with. And even the feeling of being lost or dislocated, you know, whether mm-hmm. you want to go to Tell by Bebop and questioning existence, um, those are things that Black folk have thought about. And especially as a, as a Black youth and adolescent. Um, and I think, you know, within this, within this hemisphere, I think it's, it's, a, it's an exodus, it's a renaissance, but um, to to reel that into my rating of Akira, um, I think it it absolutely is immortalized. And in the I'll, I'll I'll hail back to my first barber in Harlem and him having a a, a little model of an Akira design. Um, the fact that it impacted and infiltrated like a Harlem community um, yeah. in that sense to that level. Um, shows the ridiculously boundless uh, influence it had globally. And then on top of that, um, I do think just to hail your guys's reanimation rating, I think it has been attempted to be reanimated. Right. And a lot of these different stories and a lot of these, as we we're just talking about millennial directors growing up and knowing as inspiration coming, hailing from that. Um, I don't think it has been successfully reanimated. Um, but I do think it has created reanimation within a lot of other films. And, and a shining example of that is, is Jordan Peele paying his respects in that montage, uh, you know, uh, same exact shot flow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, so the influence it has in that sense is huge. But I also do think it has set a standard that in this contemporary age, animation studios have shot away from to try and replicate that level of standard of animation because it's so beautiful that people don't even want to attempt that right. because they look at the cost and the production value um, to try and attempt that. And so they shy away from it. And it's that's why I feel it's truly immortalized uh, in, in a sense that it can't be replicated, although people have attempted to reanimate it. <laughs> really well said. Uh, really Wes, did you want to give any even, final thoughts? I don't even know what I'm going to say after that. Uh, <laughs> It's immortal, man. It's like one of the yeah. best movies ever made. Like I think, like yeah. I don't know. Like folks have always 
the film bro opinion is like uh is that uh pulp fiction's the best movie ever made and, mm. and all that stuff but i'm always like have you guys seen akira akira's right there hey, <laughs> hey have you guys seen akira uh and i get out of here know, go uh, <laughs> but uh yeah it's a it, man it's immortal man like like yeah. how do you how do you completely create a new genre how do you completely right in your fucking two hour movie about a biker gang create a new genre of of sci-fi it's just it's amazing and i think every filmmaker every filmmaker who wants to work in genre is always standing behind akira in some kind of way Mm. um and that's and that's that's not a thing many films do is Mm -hmm. is create a shadow so big that you're like everybody is standing behind it so yeah you know, yeah. I, I I literally this is the last thing I'll say. I read recently that Looper that he was thinking about Akira when he was making the future world of in Looper, which is like hmm. I don't even think about Akira when I think about Looper, no. but it's like <laughs> it's like right there. Uh, so yeah, That's it's funny. immortal. It's immortal. Uh, everybody should see it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go try see like it. wait and wait. Go see it or like wait until it's back at the Alamo or at yeah. IMAX, which it does every few years, and and like go and see it on a big screen um because it's really it's really incredible it's worth it um cam thanks for joining us man is there anything uh you want to plug what's going on in your life cam plug something man man. (laughs) well no i i'll plug first of all you guys as the medium work because i've been a long time uh supporter and fan but no it's been it's been an interesting uh moment for myself uh you guys are both uh creative partners for me Mm -hmm. and and what i like Mm -hmm. to call harlem renaissance 2.0 and we've already made a few things in this rodeo, but I'm actually, it's, it's timely because on Thursday uh, or on Thursday through the weekend, I'm directing my first short. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. with yeah. An incredible moment. And I think it's, it, it hails to both of the films that we spoke about and also the news medias that we spoke to uh, ahead of that conversation, because it deals with animation. It deals with time and space. It deals with, black narrative Mm -hmm. um, what it means within this contemporary moment and also how it uh can can not just be a black cinema moment but like literally just a story that can exist globally yeah right Mm -hmm. and um and so yeah that's that's what's going on in my life uh it's it's been an exciting moment so i'm just just happy to be here and and excited uh coming out of our birthday screening of creed to (laughs) talk about everything (laughs) yeah well i'm excited to see uh your project and you know certainly having having worked with you tangentially and directly across uh these past few months um it'll be dope to see what you do when you're at the helm um and and wes goodrich is uh is the the co-writer of the script yeah he is i did i did i did so I did. there I did, we go did a little writing he didn't he didn't let me uh, see it he's never let me see it but uh that's, that's <laughs> um uh listen man you got to keep things under wraps until they until they're done you know until they pop can't. that's true you gotta, you gotta keep them over here that's what we learned uh, from you gotta Joseph. keep them like a science experiment inside of a little beaker cut up into pieces and shoved in a freezer. A pair of eyes and a spinal cord. Yeah. Wes, Wes yeah. has been spending too much time with me that he's starting to make metaphors now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, uh, man. Well, thank you guys for listening to the medium work. We will be coming back soon with yes. uh, 
a scream episode uh, yes interview a very special interview episode indeed um unless this drops and, before that we don't we're just recording and, episodes sometimes we don't even know and, more, and more, more animation episodes and more, animation, and more episodes. animation episodes uh we'll be at festivals this year god willing Ooh, so yes. maybe if you if you're going at any of those many festivals uh let us know and also you know uh when something inevitably happens at the oscars tonight oh shit can you believe that happened? <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my god. Dude, Whoa. That was crazy. We called it. Thank you.